and she's super supportive. Like, you know, if I tell her I'm buying a hundred grand worth of snakes, she doesn't think anything of it. Welcome to From the Ground Up, where we talk to reptile keepers and breeders about all things cold-blooded. Sit back and have a beer with us. Well, some of you are driving. If you're driving, keep your hands tended to and enjoy the show. Welcome to number six zero of From the Ground Up podcast. Um, if you guys haven't seen, we did momentarily change our name to Corn Hub because of corn snakes. Oh, why did you have to bring this up? The whole Python thing. We needed to really mix it up. So um, no, that was all a terrible, terrible April Fool's joke. Didn't like the joke. That I was enjoyed so it. So inappropriate. We will never change our name to Corn Hub. <laughs> that. Uh, I still can't believe he did it. And if you if you missed it, you missed it because I deleted all the evidence, at least on Instagram. Well, happy April Fools and Easter to everyone. Okay. And um, so we have shirts available. You guys all know that. PortCityPythons.com, all that good stuff. Um, the Amazon link will be below. Trying to get through this real quick. Uh, today we have Justin Cabelco from J. Cabelco Reptiles. Um, today. So, Justin, can you give us a quick overview of um, how your business got started? Um, okay. So, yeah. the I love reptiles from the beginning. Everybody said everybody's story. Um, but it actually kind of, as far as the business side of it, kind of got started when I was in college. Um, I was keeping re- um, all these different snakes in my room, my dorm room. So, I was at a boarding school. Um, and and we were not, we were allowed to have one snake. Well, I had like 20 something snakes in my dorm room. And, uh, whenever we'd have like any kind of inspection, I just roll a bunch of blankets over the cages and hope that nobody noticed. But eventually I got caught, um, with all these snakes in the room and the college said, look, you got to get rid of them or, or we're kicking you out. And, uh, that was a, that was a pretty big wake up call, but it, it was actually the biology department of the school. Let me start keeping my snake to give me my own room in the biology department because they were just impressed with what I was doing. And uh, that's where I had to start hatching my very first, uh, my first snakes. They were actually a uh, milk snakes and king snakes and stuff, that sort of thing. Um, back then that was like 2003 or so. Um, and I just loved it so much, man. I dreamed about doing this forever. You know, and so how started making it a reality. Ball pythons from there. So I was having some success with the corn snakes and everything, but you know, even then they were, you know, 30 bucks each or whatever. You couldn't make a living on that. Um, and you know, back then ball pythons were just kind of getting started you had Ralph Davis and Peter call and, uh, uh, Kevin McCurley. And these guys were the rock stars of, of ball pythons. And I just wanted to be like them when I grew up. And, uh, so, you know, seeing piebalds and everything was probably the big push into it and that's so I, I bought my first piebald i think 2004 maybe and uh, i was you know it cost a fortune back then and that's it was no looking back after that now if you were in the same shoes if you were say 21 years old right now in our current reptile market um how would you plan to get started and you would you have done the same thing yeah. man that's tough you know, we have a very mature market now by comparison. So back then, anybody could buy any ball python and do great. You know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not the case anymore. It actually takes a little bit of work because we have real mature players who are 
have a significant market share that you have to compete with. Um, I still think I would do it similar. I think that's what my, my, my big um, keys to success was I stumbled into, I stumbled into it a little bit as I bought all these recessives initially and I did not chase um, partly because I didn't have the budget, but I didn't chase whatever codon was hot at any, any given moment. I never, never went after that, never invested in a codon ever. Um, and uh, partly that's because um, my, all my initial purchases were made by my uncle. He was investing in my, my business and he saw how passionate I was about it. And he's like, I'm going to buy you these first few snakes to get you started. And he said, he said, I'm not going to buy any snake. That's not just, I don't think it's absolutely beautiful. And he's not a snake person. You know, he just, they just wanted, you know, he didn't want to spend money on anything that wasn't beautiful. So he bought lavender, clown, um, piebalds, all those really cool, you know, high-end recessives. Back then they were 25 grand or more each, some of them. Um, but he refused to buy fires and yellow bellies and cinnamons <laughs> and all the stuff that were almost the same price, but they were codoms. He's like, ah, oh, they look normals to me. And uh, he didn't, neither of us knew it, but he was sidestepping a huge landmine that a lot of people get caught up in early on. Um, so we were, we were building, um, we were buying building blocks that lasted, you know, we're like mutual funds of all pythons essentially. So, yeah. I mean, now I feel like everyone has that mindset. I don't know if they got it from you, but at least in ball pythons now, everyone's clowning pied out. So yeah. what yeah, do you totally. do if you're someone maybe not in your position where, you know, you're right now at the top, what do you do if you are a younger breeder trying to differentiate yourself? that's really tough that's really tough because it's hard to differentiate um if that's what i'm talking about a mature market um it's hard to differentiate against players who have really really deep collections you know what i'm saying like it's like an example would be um some upstart you know nba team trying to go against the warriors you know not only do they have good players, you can have a few good players, but they have got a deep bench of every one of those players who can come in and be a starter on another team just about. Right. Um, and when you're competing with people who have built a collection over 15 years, there's no successful way to get into it. You're going to have to get into it with that long game, putting the animals on the shelf and building that long term. So there's no, there was, there was a time you could get rich quick with ball pythons. That time is not anymore. Mm-hmm. So for a little bit of reference, um, what were those first animals that you invested in as far as the lavenders? What were they worth at that time? What are they worth now in comparison to <laughs> some of those fires and some of the Right. Like okay. So the lavender, the lavender albino we bought um, is a breeder size male. And at the time they were selling for like 25, I think we paid 30 for our 30 grand for ours. Um, and the first pied was... 10 i think and it was a female males were more um first clown was fourteen thousand dollars or something like that it was just crazy yeah yeah now all those base genes you can get all of them for under five hundred dollars you know easily easily but you know we've by putting all these different combos in there and the fact that they're reproducing you can definitely still do incredible stuff with those genes you know those genes are as hot as ever pies and clowns especially um hot as ever so it's uh it's pretty cool to see how, how it's changed do you feel like it's is it getting away from say you know trying to get morphs out of west african stuff like that or is that fewer and farther between yeah so 
it's hard. It used to be that was the way to, to win, you know, and you'd buy this new code on or find this new code on me, prove it, and you'd sell them all for, you know, 30000 a piece and, you know, do fantastic. But there are fewer and fewer, fewer really amazing snakes coming out of West Africa, right? Because they've mostly been bound. Most of the crazy ones, you know, the ones that are left are very subtle. Um, that doesn't mean they can't be great because some of our best morphs are start out subtle and you can buy it with something that has explosive results. But on morphs like that, you have to put years of work in to prove that whatever you want for it is worth it. Uh, you know, you might get the, the next, you know, subtle morph from Africa, um, you name it. And nowadays people are very skeptical of that. And, and until you make something that can actually compete with what all the crazy stuff we have for cheap on the market, you can't really charge the big bucks like it used to be. Um, I think the cool stuff these days can be actually found in collections, you know, popped out because we're doing, we're doing an insane amount of ball python breeding here in America, right? And all over the world. And we're not, you know, in the wild, it's a natural selection, right? So random, we're not doing it random. We're putting weird stuff with weird stuff every day. And even though we try not to inbreed, there is a significant amount of, you know, generational breeding where, mm -hmm where it's not really random at all anymore. If something's going to pop out, it's going to pop out in captivity. So the next crazy thing, I really believe that. Right. And yeah. now we're getting to the point where you're having, it's pretty normal to have five gene animals now. So mm -hmm. do you think, I mean, is that also shifting as far as putting the most amount of genes in an animal and it gets muddied up and maybe. <sighs> yeah, I hope so. I hope people are getting away <laughs> from that mindset. It's, it's, I think for the most part, yeah, people are realizing that that there's just too many ways to make a white snake. So let's stop throwing genes at things. They're all turning white, you know, in the end. They're all losing their pattern. Um, and that's why you've seen, I think, the shift to the recessives a lot, because it allows you to put more genes in there, do interesting things, still have the hardness factor without making a snake that gets totally, you know, washed out in the end. Um, and that's all. We also had a resurgence of genes that darken snakes. Um, it used to be no one wanted the dark genes, right? Um, now the dark genes are seen as a way to um, add them in there and keep really nice contrast, really nice blacks. That's kind of, the market's changed in that sense, and it's been good. I think it's been good for the market. So if you could explain, at least you seem to have a lot more vision than the normal keeper as far as putting your stuff together and you know just the creativity so do you have a certain idea of what's gonna pop out like does a black pastel go with a yellow snake does it i mean it seems to do similar things what's kind of your vision and thought behind these kinds of things um i think it's a lot of experimentation i, I somehow i guess somehow i have a a way of, of kind of predicting a little bit I can't get in other people's heads, so I don't know how different I, I think than other people. You know what I'm saying? I, I know the results, but I I don't I in a way what I what I do intuitively seems to me like everybody should be able to do it, but that may not be the case. Um I think my biggest um advantage that I probably have um as far as you know, because I started people had massive, incredible collections before I even had one ball python. There should be no reason why I should catch up. Right. There's going to be no reason anybody ever catches up to some of these people who have incredible snakes. But it's a combination of going your own way, you know, going in a unique way and proving that it's good. And then when people sign on to it, you're already down that road a long ways. You know, that's one one, one part of it. Um, the other thing I think I do that other people don't really do is I try to think more than one step ahead. Most people look at a, um, 
they think, okay, this is what I'm trying to make this year. Okay, well, now I'm going to try to take one more step. Where I tend to think of, okay, this is what I'm doing this year. And when that happens, what am I going to want to do after that? And I'll go ahead and start it now. So, you know, you name, uh, say, I'll say I want to make a, say I want to do the Pompeii, which is that new one I just made. Okay. Well, when I'm trying to make the Pompeii, I'm already thinking, what's going to go good with the Pompeii when I make it? Because I want to have that ready in when years in advance. Ready. Right. As mm-hmm. opposed to thinking of it after the fact. And then, so to me, it's always about you're, you're working multiple lines, trying to make them cross years in the future um, before you as opposed to taking it one step at a time. That's that's the one thing I know that I do different than most people. That so. makes so much sense because now that you, you think about it, you're creating things because obviously females need three years. So right. you can take a significant amount of time off just by knowing what females you need to raise up to this male that you haven't even produced yet. Right. Right. That's what I always think. If I make if I make what I want, what am I going to want to do next? And I just go ahead and start it before I ever even made that second step yet. Yeah. Now, now there's certainly something that you need to have in order to be successful on the business end of reptiles. So mm-hmm. how do you merge the, you know, there's animal lovers and there's business people and very few people are, are a good mix of those both that make you successful. Yeah. yeah, true. That's tough. You know, it's it comes down to a lot of personality. Um, I have an advantage just because my degree was in marketing. Um, okay. and so I, ha- I had a sense for it. Um, although my marketing when I was in college was pretty much like newspapers, radio and billboards, you know, <laughs> it wasn't new media. Um, so I, I wasn't trained in like socials and how to do any of that stuff, but it, you have a general sense of, of just how to speak to the public in such a way that, um, you know, basically rule number one is no fighting on the internet. And that's something I, that's something that goes a long way. I wish most people <laughs> would more mm-hmm. do that. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, it's it's hard to have a, the combination of of some of the different skills. It really is, and most businesses will either you either have to have it or you'll have to hire for it so, in order to be successful. So, do you think at least when you're investing into a project, how much do you think of how good it's gonna look, and how much do you think of the money part of it? The money doesn't enter into it to me because the money comes when you when the snake looks good so that's all you have to focus on really that's all you have to focus on um i so i focus on how am i how am i gonna make it look hard and how hard is it to make how am i gonna make it look and how hard is it to make those are the two factors the harder to make the better in my opinion because just because that advantages those people who have been doing this a long time um and that, that advantages me um so that's why part of the reason why I love going for those multi-recessives and things like that is because it's just like a speed bump in everybody else's path, you know, kind of thing. Um, and that allows me to, to kind of keep my edge. Um, as far as price goes, I don't know. I don't. I try not to think about that. It isn't isn't really a factor. You just make the amazing snakes and it'll come. So. So when you were first getting started out, I know it's kind of tough um, when you first get started out those big guys can be like either intimidating or they don't take you seriously so i mean how would you get from zero to at least you know 50 to where now you're at maybe 99 you know that's a good question wise yeah that's a really good question um most of the people in our industry are really good people for the most part um they're not all good business people but um as that's been a hard thing for me, actually, probably in the last year or so, 
um, is I've had to come to grips with the fact that all these people that I really, really admired and um, I wanted nothing more than for these people to like me. You know what I'm saying? I wanted to be just like them. And then as you achieve a certain level of success, you realize that they're not really your friends. They're, they're, they're in business. You know what I'm saying? And that's, and, and not, all, not only are they not your friends, they might actually actively working against you when, it, when, when there's a threat there, you know? So that's tough, man. That's tough to come to grips with that. Um, cause it, because this is the business, there's money involved. That's, it's understandable, you know, really. Um, but there's also some really good people who have just been fantastic all throughout, you know, and really, really great to deal with. I think it's interesting how you are, you're very big, you know, socially on the internet, but you're not to the level of, it doesn't seem like you go to many shows. It doesn't seem like you've been many shows. So what's your idea behind that? So it's, it's twofold. Number one is I have a big family. I have have four kids and one on the way. So, and it's not, it's just not fair to to leave the wife on many weekends a year to fend for them by, by herself. <laughs> so I, I've got to deal with the family side of it. Um, the other part of it is I, I have a, you know, I have a personal life and all that. And I try to maintain that. Um, but something early on that I thought would be kind of cool um, is that just so many of, there's something about having a certain mystique, you know, it's okay to be on socials, but maybe not so much and not so in your face at every show that people think they have you completely figured out. Um, and it's, it, that comes down to marketing. I think a little bit, there's something to be said for having a, uh, just a certain mistake about you where you don't necessarily tell everything and show everything that's, that's going on in your life. So maybe not in everybody's yeah. faces all the time. Yeah. I mean, I think I saw you, uh, Tinley a few years back and it seems like you had animals, but all of them said not for sale. on <laughs> Right. Right. You know, the thing is, is the Internet will sell way more animals than any show ever will. But the reason why I started doing Tinley is because it's, it is a chance to, you know, to kind of interact with people right. across the table, which is nice because people know where they find you and then come to you. That's been a really good experience. Um, but people do most of their shopping at home these days. Really, the shows to me have been more about here's a chance for people to meet people and people to see the, the kind of quality, the kind of projects. And just maybe walk away with an, oh, wow, you know, um, I've sold very few animals at shows over the years. Um, yeah, you know, almost every sale, I've, every good sale I've had has come from a contact that just give a card away or whatever. That's really what's about. So, I mean, I see that you're taking, I guess you could say you're taking YouTube a little bit more seriously now. Yeah. So um, what are your plans in the future with your YouTube channel? I mean, I, I, I don't know. It's been tough. Uh, I'll tell you what I love about YouTube is YouTube is the number one way to to interact with brand new people and to expose new people to to our industry. Um, and that kind of came to me by surprise. I got into YouTube. A buddy of mine just said, hey, you got to show some of these snakes. This years and years ago. My very first video is I basically it's basically a 10 seconds. I'm like, here's a spider ball python. I don't even show my face. Here's a spider ball python. And, and uh but the amount of response that you can get from that, it's because it's a moving picture. It's incredible. Um, it's pretty high. And then over the years, I kind of gave up on YouTube for a while. I just, it was just so much work. YouTube's a lot more work than the other mm-hmm. socials. Um, I can't give up on it for a while, but then I started doing Tinley and everybody would be like, Hey, I first discovered, I either, number one, either I discovered ball pythons by watching your YouTube channel or I didn't know about you except through YouTube. And I started realizing that 
YouTube actually brought me more customer, more first time buyers than any other platform by far. It wasn't even close. Um, all these other platforms, people are already in the industry. They're just stumbling onto you, but YouTube is di- completely different. Um, and that made me go back to it. But the big thing that I think most people don't realize about YouTube is that social media these days is kind of the big equalizer, right? It gives everybody a voice. You know, if you see on uh, good or bad, right? You have too Facebook, right, too Instagram. much sometimes. <laughs> right, right. So you have Instagram, Facebook, and you have the guy who, um, you know, bought four ball pythons and he's never bred one. And he can be as loud a voice as somebody who has been in this for 15, 20 years. You know what I'm saying? He can be preaching the truth and everybody thinks it's amazing. And the guy who's, who actually has the knowledge and has the experience is like, man, I just can't, I can't compete with all these uh, newbies, you know, who, who know it all. Mm-hmm. So because it's easy, to, it's easy to be on those platforms. But YouTube is different. You can't fake it on YouTube. You really can't. Um, because it's it's in your face, you're talking, you're in the moment, you're not having, you know, it's all scripted. Um, not just that, the amount of effort that goes into making a quality video versus a quality Instagram post. It, it's a big equalizer, it's an unequalizer. It allows people who actually have the resources, have the time, have the experience to show that to the public where you can't really do it on the other platforms really in the same way. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely a weird thing where it both shows you, you know, it can show you in your best life, but also can make you very vulnerable. You know, how many times has someone said, there's no hide for your snake. You need more substrate. Yeah. You know, dumb, yeah. dumb little thing. No, that's that's the big fear. I think that's probably the number one thing that keeps people off YouTube is because, well, you know, I remember back when I first started, my room was so tiny that I thought there's no way anybody's going to take me seriously. You know, and I couldn't hide it. Again, YouTube doesn't really let you hide it. I mean, I do the best I can. I wouldn't like ever paint. I would never turn on my videos. Be fucking wrecked. <laughs> if I turn just slightly, they'd be like, "Is he in a closet?" You know. Uh, <laughs> but that's how it starts. But you're right. YouTube it, it will expose you if uh, you know, good or bad. It'll expose you to the trolls or or uh, expose things you're doing wrong. Yeah, uh, but it's, it's definitely a great place to where, um, you know, new people find you and new people reach out to you and that's really what it's all about i think we get stuck really in our bubbles in this community yeah yeah and it it also shows that you're a a real person you know and that you're relatable um like for example um uh, miguel we're talking you know we were talking to miguel at at arlington um his the way he does his style is just so personable and so relatable that when we were at arlington we were just walking around a little bit he had 10 times and there were people stopping him and like, Oh my God, take your picture. I know you from YouTube 10 times what I did. And even though <laughs> I've been in this forever, but, but it's, you know, he's done a good job of just being a real person, you know, for people um, feel, feel good about stopping him and feel like they feel like they know him already. And that's, that's something that YouTube allows. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you uh, say yeah. So, I mean, do you, uh, would you ever go into the more vlog style snake stuff? Like what, what do you want to do with YouTube? Right. That so, way? so vlog style. I just the video I just did was was more that style. Um, the issue with that is a couple of things. First of all, it takes a lot more work, a lot more work to do that. And and just I'm the kind of person who I'm I'm not a millennial. So when I when I'm in the moment, I don't ever think, oh, I got to find a way to record this. I just enjoy it, you know, and. Uh, and so that requires a complete rethinking. I'm in a moment. I got to think, 
I need to make this for YouTube. And that's, that's a whole nother, a whole nother world, um, that I'm trying to get used to a little bit. Um, the other thing is, is that <sighs> there's a little bit of a stigma, uh, stigma that's given to people who, um, I don't know, like, you don't want to flaunt your lifestyle. You know what I'm saying? Oh, you just want to think mm-hmm. you're cool. You just want to show off the fact that you're in another country doing that. And that brings up a whole nother level of people, um, right. hating on you, you know, um, not to be cliche about it, but, but yeah, so it's, it's a, it's, it goes both ways. And, oh, you're trying to be the next Brian Barczyk because you're doing this. I'm like, oh, not really. I just, but, but, the, but there's the other half of people who think it's the most fantastic thing they've ever seen. And they're like, do right. more of that. Cause it's so great. It's so awesome to be able to see your life and see what's going on. And then, you know, you just can't, you can't please, please everybody. You really can't. Yeah, so I'm trying to do it more of a hybrid now. I think kind of in between yeah. those two. There's going to be bitter people that don't want to see you succeed. And then people who are going to support you. I mean, you'll get all right now. Um, I had a good question, but, um, traveling. So you mentioned yeah. kind of traveling. We've seen you travel a little bit on your YouTube channel. So have you done that right. intentionally? Are those business slash, you know, fun trips? Uh, tell us a little bit. Usually they're all business. They're all business. They have to be business to justify leaving, leaving, um, the kids and the wife at home. So, uh, I, uh, they're pretty much business. Um, but the cool thing is, is that, um, over time I've been allowed to, to, you know, visit a lot of different countries and, and usually, um, it's to visit different shows and, and to give talks and this sort of thing. And so a lot of it's paid, you know, paid by the, the promoter or whatever, which makes it extra, extra fun and you know, really, really cool. So I love traveling. It's, it's one of my passions just in general. Um, so traveling and talking about ball pythons is pretty much the perfect combination in my mind. So I see, I see you went to South Africa a couple of times. Is that a big yeah. python market and reptile market in general? So it's not a big market. It's actually a small market, but it is one of the most passionate markets. They are, they love their reptiles in general and they love ball pythons more than, I would say if you did cross section, they probably love their ball pythons more than even Americans or Europeans. Wow. I mean, they love their ball pythons. They really do. Um, the problem is, is that they are a very small market. There's just a certain percentage of the population there that is willing to keep snakes and a huge percentage that never will, or, you know, not in the short term at least. Um, but man, they know their stuff and they love their stuff and they, yeah, they're, it's really cool to visit them. It I mean, really is, is there a large discrepancy in a country like that between people who are maybe even wealthy enough to keep reptiles or ball pythons? Right. It's a, it's, um, it's both wealth and it's culture, you know, in the end. Um, but it, it, you know, it doesn't cut, you know, cleanly across those lines, but yeah, it's definitely a big factor mm. for sure. Yeah. So what other places have you visited or do you plan to visit? In the right. Future? So I've been to China, um, twice on business now in the last couple of years. China's amazing because they're, they're a country that if, it, if they open up to ball pythons officially, it will just change our world forever you know it'd be crazy um but right now they don't actually allow ball pythons legally unless you get a license which is obscenely expensive so ball pythons as pets there is just not happening in the short term um but they're working on it and that's awesome um indonesia um and you know i go to europe every so often for the ham show and all that and i got to go to canada recently so those are kind of some of the main hot spots Mm-hmm. Um, well, pythons are actually pretty big in Indonesia and Malaysia too. They kind of caught on there, so really? pretty cool. Yeah. yeah, that's super awesome. <laughs> that's something that I wish we could do. That's why I want to get 
big enough to have people pay for us to go <laughs> places. But um, it's, it's really fun. Yeah. So, what is kind of as what do you deem to be kind of the next thing in ball pythons, in your opinion? And I hate to ask you a question. Yeah. You, honestly, I think I don't think. I don't think of it in that terms. I think that's a, I think that's a question is kind of an old way of thinking about, about ball pythons. I think we're kind of moving out of that, that stage, um, where it comes down to what's the next hot morph or whatever. There will always be new morphs that people have to have and pay money for. But I think, I think the success these days in the future will come more for just from just having the, making things a new in a different way, in a special way that's completely different. Um, and that's, that's what I try to do. Like I said, I've never really um, chased the codom of the day. Um, and if I do buy a new codom or something, it's only because I'm like, okay, what am I going to do to put it into this stuff I already have and make crazy things? It's never about how, how can I make a bunch and make some money? That's, that's not what it's about. Mm. Um, so so I'm, I'm, the, I'm the worst person to ask that question. To, basically. <laughs> I, I kind of figured that, but I felt like I had yeah, to I'm the it. worst person because I don't have anything because I don't have anything to sell you on. You know what I'm saying? That's not what it's about. Um, but I mean, I'm excited about the things that I'm making and like the, the crazy changes and just mixing it up and, and reinventing it. I'm excited about all that, but to me, I'm excited about what I haven't seen. So I can't sell you on what I haven't seen yet. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, to change gears a little bit, we had a, a good yeah. question that came up on the chat. Um, is your wife actually involved with the business, with the business with you? That's a good question. Um, she was early on. So when he got married, I was totally into ball pythons and everything. So she totally knew what she was getting into with that. Was, actually, I take that back. She did not know that they would ever make money. <laughs> so she is like a, she's like a saint because she was, she was cool about it when it looked like it was just a, uh, expensive obsession. Um, but, uh, nowadays she, she supports me, but she's not involved with, you know, any of the care or, any of that she she's involved in the sense that she gives me the time and space to to do the work so right. i mean yeah that's important especially yeah. with kids and stuff like that just giving you the free time to do what you have to do right work and, and she's super supportive like you know if i tell her i'm buying 100 grand worth of snakes she doesn't think anything of it she's like she Whoa. wouldn't even you know she just she's totally <laughs> cool with that oh she knows she knows in the end that everything is an investment and that in that i I'll, I'll make it work, you know, for the family. I'm, I'm not there to lose money. I'm there to make money, you know, and I do think, well. So I think you, so she's you cool prove with that. that she can trust your judgment at this point. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's cool with that. So you do have a full-time employee, right? I do. I have one full-time and one half-time now. Okay. So yeah. how did you, or when was the point where you were like, oh shit, I need an employee. And how did you get over that hump? Okay, so every major change I've made has been because my wife forced me to. Um, really, <laughs> like I, I quit my job and started doing multi-thons full time because she forced me to. She said, "There's just no way you gotta give one of them up because I, I was killing myself, you know." And when was um, that, by the way? That was um, 2011, I think, maybe 12, somewhere in that zone. So it's been, it's been about six years um, doing it full time. Um, but yeah, she was the one who made that happen. And um, and then it was exactly the same thing when even though I'd gone full time, I could no longer handle everything on my own. It was just killing me. Um, she's like, you got to hire someone. You just got to do it, you know. And uh, I'm the kind of person who 
it, it, I'm hard to convince of something. Um, but yeah, so she got me into it and it was the best decision. It's all, it's, it's the best decision and the, and the worst decision a business owner will ever make because they're so, so difficult to handle extra people, especially when it's your passion and your love and they get extra hands involved in that. But if you can learn to do it and, and find good people, then it's such a, an amazing experience, freeing experience to have someone good. Something that I've always wondered about is how you deal with seasonal, like the seasonality of your, especially people who do it full time, of your mm-hmm. babies and your money as far as, you know, winter's obviously going to be a little bit more dead than your summer when you're hatching out babies. Yeah. Okay. So for me, what I do is I just never, I never, ever put, never put things, everything for sale in the fall. I hold things for to sell during the winter. Um, thing is, is because it's seasonal, you can react to that and work with it. Um, most people, they hatch their kind of the, just, just speaking overall, the trends are everybody hatches their snakes between June and September approximately. Okay. Or May and September. Um, and then everybody is just trying to sell them like mm-hmm. crazy, okay? The problem is is that everybody's got snakes for sale, right? And everybody's trying to outbid everybody and, you know, price floors and, you know, prices are coming down and people get scared they're going to lose their money. And so they get that even further. It gets become a mess. Um, so my goal is I kind of stay out of that market. You know, I'll put a few things out there that I think are different than what other people have. But then I'll just let people sell out. And then I'll come in January, um, have the animals that are a little bit bigger. January and February, March, April, all those months are fantastic for tax return stuff. People have money, but usually there's very little on the market. And at that, pri- at that point, you see animals actually selling for more than they were in the fall because there's very, very low quantity. Um, I think I think once you understand how it works, you, uh, you just adjust to make that, to make that work in your favor. The other thing is, is that in the hatching season, for the most part, most of my clients are people who are breeders, but don't have as necessarily as high in a collection as I do. And they want to buy some of the nicer animals to enhance their own collection. Um, and they can't buy those animals until they've sold theirs. You know what I'm saying? That is their, that is the money they're going to spend. So I have to let them make their sales through the fall and do really well and then i and then my goal is to be there when when they're ready um and have the animals available for them when when they're ready so yeah that is a crazy good insight for any ball pythons like there's (laughs) light bulb in my head and i don't even do yeah i tell you that all the time just calm down it's okay you'll sell them you'll sell them Uh be patient let them come come to you always want them (laughs) yeah always for sure so um we usually talk about bi- ball pythons are as a whole are kind of a first time, you know, beginner snake snake area. Obviously, where you're at now, you're not doing that. Is there a time where you transitioned from selling mostly to new uh, beginner people and now to mostly breeders? For the most part, it's been two breeders the whole time. The whole time, you know, wow. the okay. animals I the animals I bought initially were high enough end that. You know, I was selling hets and everything, but even hets back in the day were five, six grand a pair, you know, or whatever. Right. Um, so from the from the beginning, I, I mostly deal with either other breeders or people who um, who just want really high end pets. And that that actually that segment is growing a lot. We're getting a lot more people like that these days, which is cool because I mean, from a business standpoint, that's people that I want to necessarily have to compete with that I'm selling to, which is awesome. 
Um, but also it just shows that people um, value them for more than just as a breeder, you know, which is cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, yeah. did you have that foresight in order to know? Cause I mean, I, I felt like no one knew that ball pythons were a pyramid scheme until it was like 10 years too late and they didn't invest on the top, you know, like you did that right off the top. Did you recognize that immediately? Not immediately. I think but about a year or two in, I think, I, mean, I, don't, I don't think it was my idea. I think someone said, Bob Python is a big pyramid scheme. And I like, my head was like, well, it is a pyramid scheme. That's exactly what it is. And like, there's no other way. But pyramid scheme doesn't have to be bad. It just means that you have, you know, a, a hierarchy, of pe- you know, and people can move up and down that, you know, it's mm-hmm. not like it's, you're fixed in somewhere. Um, but yeah, that's, that's quite a revelation when you realize it. And, uh, but it, it helps you, it helps you frame things in a way that, that you can, you know, do things in a way that makes sense. Absolutely. So I haven't seen you at least move in the direction of either micro scales or scaleless. What are some of your thoughts on those projects? Boy, I just get me in trouble. Um, <laughs> so do you want me to be honest or do you want me to give you that? <laughs> well, I want you to be honest. This is a show where we love. Uh, I want to try to be uncontroversial. Um, oh, we love controversy. So, Okay, okay, okay. So, well, basically, so I have a couple scaleless heads. Um, um, I actually had a scaleless head was given to me, a, a male. Um, and I did breed it. I breed it one time, bred it one time, and uh, made one clutch of them this past year. Um, but honestly, I think I, I don't know enough about, I mean, I, I can't predict the market completely, but when I look at scaleless ball pythons, I think, well, what are they similar to? Well, they're similar to, you know, scaleless corns in, in that market. And but I just uglier. see that. Okay. <laughs> Maybe less colorful. I don't, I don't know. We're still, we're still seeing all different colors that can be made with it. So I wouldn't. Um, but the, I, I compare them to that and I think, okay, well, do we ever, do people really want all their corns to be scaleless? No, they they no. like the scaled corns. They th- they they like the scaleless too. But nobody is saying let's make all the corn scaleless. No one's right. doing that. Um, and I think that um, with ball pythons, the best genes, the ones that are really really valuable, are the ones that people would be like, man, I'd love to get this into everything. You know what I'm saying? Okay. And I, I, just, I just don't see that with the scaleless. I think scaleless are really cool, and people. I think almost everybody's going to want to have one in their collection. So there's plenty marketable, plenty of room there. But I, I think in the end, they're going to, when it's all said and done, they're going to be a somewhat narrow part of the spectrum because people are going to be like, okay, these are awesome. Let's make some of these. But I want, still want 75% of my collection not to have it, mm-hmm. you know, to have all their scales and not be scales, whatever. Um, and so from that, that point, I thought I'd rather invest in genes that I feel like people want in a hundred percent of their collection because they'll, the market will be longer term on that. Well, so yeah, um, that's without, without bashing it. That's how I yeah. that project. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was going to like, cause I mean, I'll tell you, cause obviously I don't care cause I don't do ball pythons, but you yeah. know, to me, corns, uh, scaleless corns are awesome. And I have seen a lot of baby scaleless and adult scaleless. What I mm. haven't seen is the the amount of people who have gone into the scaleless ball python project and how readily people get ball pythons to breed? I just don't see the amount of scaleless babies and scaleless adults that I would think I would. So that so you're a conspiracy the... theorist. I'm, I'm... <laughs> <laughs> I 
I don't know. You know, I'm, I'm plugged into a lot of different stuff and I'm, I'm not aware of any problems that are mm-hmm. that are keeping them from being successful at all. Um, aside from, you know, some of the early stories and there's all kinds of reasons why I think that some of the early ones didn't didn't do well. But I think I think they're fine. I don't think there's an issue there. It would be interesting to see a scaleless female on eggs. That'll be that'll be I mean, that'll be put the whole thing to rest. But right. I don't look at it that way anymore. I think they're fairly viable. You might have to do some little care differences and everything, which which might actually disadvantage some of the new keepers who want them if, they, if you have to keep them different. Um, but no, I, just, I, I look at it more from a market, a market standpoint, not um, not a, not, a, not otherwise. Um, I think I think it'd be awesome to own a scaleless animal, but it'd probably be just one, and you know I wouldn't want it. I wouldn't want it in everything. So. Yeah, I just wanted to play a devil's advocate and B say some things that yeah. people are thinking. So <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> so as far as your projects that are coming up this year, so can you explain to us a little bit about the magma? Sure. Well, so the magma is the red stripe clown. Um, the red stripe is a gene. A lot of a lot of what I've gotten to be known for lately is in the last few years is taking some of these genes that are not that uncommon and just showing um, in some cool way what can be done with them and then making them more popular again. Um, and I, I think that there's a lot of room for that. There's tons and tons of um, morphs out there that are massively underrated. You know, people don't even realize or there's a few initial cool things made and then people forgot all about them. In fact, the clown at one point was the snake that nobody cared about. The clown was made. They go, oh, clowns, clowns. And then, <laughs> boom, pastel clowns were made. And they're like, oh, we got to get clowns again. You know, a few years passed where nobody cared about them. Mm-hmm. Then pastel and killer clowns were made by TSK. And I think BHB made some too. And then everybody wanted clowns. They're clown crazy. And then it went quiet again. No one cared about clowns for a while. Um and then I started making the fire and fireflies and leopard clowns and then and, and, and the spot nose clowns. And suddenly it's, the whole thing started rolling. Every morph has its day and sometimes some morphs will have several days, you know. Um, so the, uh, back to the magma. The magma is the red stripe clown. And, that, and it's, it's taken that under underrated gene, the red stripe, putting it into the clown. It's creating a different look that we haven't seen um, in other ways. That's, that's what it all comes down to in my mind is making something that you can't create another way. Um, yeah, and it's exciting. It's exciting. It's ground floor, and we get to see where where all it leads. But it's another shot in the arm of the clown project, and also the red stripe project. Yeah, I think it's interesting <laughs> what you've done. I don't know if people have realized as far as spot nose, because I know because I used to have past, pastel spot nose back in the day, and no one gave a shit. Uh, spot yeah. nose was like a hundred dollar snake, and then all of a sudden you put it to a clown, and everyone loves yeah. spot nose. Everyone loves spot nose clown. You know, right. all of a sudden, and then. Do you see that also happening with Red Stripe now? Yeah, I, you know it's funny because even though it, even though it had happened before, I did not anticipate it with the Red Stripe. But yeah. I, when I did the video, like Red Stripes just just disappeared everywhere. Everybody bought them up, and um, and I did not. I kind of thought that I don't know. I just didn't expect that to happen, really. Um, but it's cool to see that people are you know getting into a new gene, appreciating a new uh, you know a gene that that was underrated, and. and uh, a couple of breeders messaged me and just said, "Hey, you know, thanks for the sales. You know, that's that's awesome because you know, really, if, if one does well, we all do well, and that's that's what's the community. So, it's community marketplace. Absolutely. Yeah. So, what I mean, do you think we need at least ball pythons? Do do they need more genes, or is there still much to be had with? Them? 
that that is definitely the old thinking um, that we need more genes. And I think most people still feel that way. But um, new genes are fantastic and we, we can definitely use every one of them. But I don't think we need them. I think I think there's so much to be done. And we have if you think about it, we probably have 150 genes, like legit um, different genes. We can we can um, put those together for eternity. You know, what I'm yeah. saying there's no real end to how long we could work with those. Um, so I think people who kind of get in on that that mindset early on and think, what can I make as opposed to what can I buy um, in order to in order to make money? I think that they'll actually go further long term. Mm-hmm. So what do you see as maybe what's your favorite underrated morph right now besides obviously red stripe or clown clown is now you know in yeah. place but um that's a good question i still think red stripe is massively underrated even though people just suddenly onto it that's still pretty heavy in my head you know i still feel like there's so much to do with it that i haven't done um so we have a few new genes on the market right now are the confusion the acid that kind of stuff um static um and there's a lot to be done with that stuff. It's pretty exciting. Um, but that's a relatively new morph. It's not something that's massively underrated. Um, people seem to be pretty excited about that. Um, there's still a lot to do, be done with blackhead and chocolate and some of those genes that, you know, showed up and then disappeared. And then I think they're going to come roaring back. I really do. You know what? I really like tri-stripes. I think that's what they're called. And no one wears yeah. those damn things. No one cares about them. I know. You know, that. <laughs> the other one is G-stripes. For some reason, people they say they like striped ball pythons, but they cannot. They just G stripes. People have a terrible time getting excited about them. They're super cheap, and tri stripes are are simply incredible. And yet, again, they they have very little market value. Almost, you know, there's very little demand for them. But mm-hmm. I don't know. They, they'll probably get their day too. It's coming. Get in, you know, get in while you can. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it seems like there is just all it's waiting for is that one combination to unlock every, it. That's that's how it is. I mean, every morph has its day. You just you, you want to. That's why I believe in getting into a lot of little things. Every time a new morph comes out, I think, oh, it's a reasonable price. I buy it and uh, I put it on the shelf and start working it in because I know it's it's days coming. Whether I whether I determine what you know what it's going to be that makes it crazy or someone else does, it's it's coming. So what's your ratio? I mean, you kind of mentioned it throughout the podcast so far, but as far as buying snakes, how much do you trade? How much do you try to invest back in your business? Yeah. Um, I, I probably buy, you know, for myself, probably a dozen snakes a year or so. And they're usually things that just kind of go perfectly with what I have. So maybe something I missed on, I tried to make it and I missed it. And I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to waste it. I'm not going to you know, use another year trying to make that. I want to buy it. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it's just, um, usually the, the things I buy aren't actually that expensive. They're usually the thing that I think is underrated, undervalued, um, or maybe just the best, best example I've ever seen of a combo I already have. And I think, man, that's a better example than I've ever seen. So I'm put that on my shelf and sell the one I have. You know what I'm saying? Because it's about building that quality over time. Um, yeah, I mean, every so often I'll, you know, I'll make a big investment into something, but, but for the most part, that's not that's not where I put my money. Uh huh. So where are you trying to go as far as gene wise? Obviously, you're trying to keep it down, but are you doing double recessive, triple? Are you just working through recessives? 
Okay, so yeah, the way I see it is like, um, you know, recessives are the main ingredients, and you know, and the codons are like the uh, the spices. You know, what I'm yeah. saying. So, yeah, I'm definitely combining. You know, I've, I'm, I mean, I may actually made a, um, a clown lavender pie last year, and you know, triple recessive visual, but it died in the egg. So I'm back to square one on that again. Um, that stuff takes so long, and that's what makes it so so wonderful because whenever somebody gets that male that triple recessive male spends the time they're going to have just a complete corner on that market for who knows how long until people can, can do the same um but i also made my first quad heads this past year so you know quadruple heads mm. and you're, then you're talking about some real long odds but um <laughs> but i really believe that we'll be doing this 20 years from now so why not start you know why not yeah i mean that's so. super interesting as far as just the you could work that 20 years trying to hit that on yeah <laughs> <laughs> right well it, it would be that long for sure if you were just doing quad head to quad head every time but yeah. the thing is is you can actually start to narrow it down you know what i'm saying you start to narrow it and suddenly you have okay so here's a it's visual for one gene and het for the other three okay that's so you said every every few years you can start to get closer and closer so you eventually mm-hmm. get to that one where the odds are you finally in your favor or you can just get lucky. Some people just get really lucky and they hit the first time and then it's all history from there. Yeah. So, so if, both, both ways. A, a little advice for someone just getting into it who wants to make money quickly on reptiles. I mean, obviously you are much, you go slow and you're very patient with it. So how could you, you know, give advice and, you know, encourage people to be patient in this game? Yeah. Um, I mean, I think if you, you have to go in with the right mindset. If you come in with the mindset that you're going to make money fast, um, it might work for a while, but it's going to blow up on you pretty quick. You know, there's all kinds of shortcuts people can make. Um, and there's lots of places that you can lose money. Um, either, either with the bad investment or cutting a corner as far as quarantine or buying from people, shady people. There's just so many things that can really just take your goals and make them just completely gone forever. Um, so I think, I think. I mean, there's a reason why most businesses fail and, and, you know, not taking those shortcuts is a big part of what's going to make you succeed. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. we had a couple of questions come through the, the chat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first one, um, someone asked a while ago, you talked about um, selling your snakes a little bit later in the winter months. Now, do you feel like it's harder to ship those snakes out because you're selling it in the colder months? Yeah. Yeah, I end up sitting on a lot of snakes, you know, for weather reasons a lot. Um, I'm in Georgia, so for the most part, my weather is fairly, you know, decent throughout the year. There's there's very r- rare that I can't ship out, but as far as people receiving them, yeah, I mean, at any given moment, I'm probably during the winter months, I'm probably sitting on fifty or sixty snakes that Whoa. just can't ship yet. But but that's the cost of doing business, you know. That's just that's just how it goes. Um, you you know you kind of pay to play a little bit and that's 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 how I pay is I just feed snakes um, that I that I've already sold it's okay. <laughs> so I need to look at them longer <laughs> absolutely but but this time of year like this morning I shipped out I don't know fifteen sixteen boxes just because it happened to be you know warm through Indianapolis today and it's cold again on Tuesday night right but you know you basically waiting for that one hub to warm up for one day and you're like all right. Open the floodgates. We're we're doing this. You know? <laughs> so you're and, just checking Weather and, Channel like every morning for a I, bunch of different oh, cities. Yeah. <laughs> oh yeah, exactly. Just kind of seeing where you know where, what what 
you know, small percentage of the nation can I ship to today and how many people we have there in that section that are waiting for snakes and then make it happen. Wow. Wow. Um, The second question from the chat is, what do you do for rodents? Buy local, buy frozen, or breed your own? And what do you think about um, ASFs? Okay, so I breed all my own rodents. Um, That's been, it's a fantastic thing if you can do it, um, because it's very, it's a huge cost. Like I was spending $1,200 to $1,500 a week on rodents. Um, Yeah, it's very expensive. But building the building and doing it yourself, that was a, you know, $75,000 investment, but it's already paid back so many times over. And, you know, because $1,500 a week adds up fast. Um, so, so yeah, if you have the ability to make that investment and breed your own rodents on a high, you know, a high level, it's totally worth it. Um, ASFs, they're actually illegal in Georgia. We're one of the few oh. states that says no, um, no exotic rodents no or something like ASFs that. ASFs and no corn snakes and no fun. <laughs> right, right, exactly. No fun, that's right. Um, so I don't deal with ASFs, um, but I found that it's pretty rare for a ball python that wants to eat ASFs that want to eat a mouse. For the most part, mice and ASFs are somewhat interchangeable. Mice don't get as big, which is unfortunate. Mm-hmm. But, but yeah, I just deal with it. So I'm going to take our last question from the chat, and I do enjoy this question. So... With all your success, are you still the weird snake guy at your family reunion? <laughs> Not just family reunions, every, everywhere. <laughs> so I'm I'm pretty active in our church and everything, and it's funny because you know um, some family in our church will have their have their parents came in from Alaska for the week or whatever, and they're like, and then they're introducing me like, oh, you're the snake guy. I'm like, I don't even know you. I'm guy but that's not as bad as my wife my wife my wife is a snake's guy snake guy's wife yeah that's how she is she doesn't have a name anymore oh you're the snake guy's wife that's worse than being the snake guy i guess that's too bad right you don't even get the cool stuff <laughs> right right exactly but then i have friends you know who breed rodents for a living and they're the, they're the rodent guys yeah. that'd be worse come on you're the rat guy <laughs> cricket guy or cockroach guy right He'd be like, I'm an, I'm an uh, insect feeder specialist or technician or something like that. you got to give it a good, good title or something. Yeah, snake eye all of a sudden seems mid-level. Seems <laughs> right. <laughs> right. It could be worse. It always could be worse. So, uh, Justin, I want to thank you so much for taking out the time and being on tonight. And um, My pleasure. Uh, do you have any parting words of guidance and then also a little bit of where people can get in touch with you? Okay. Um, Guidance-wise... Um, just uh, just follow your own gut, you know, do what you're passionate about. That's really what leads to success, I think, for, for any of us in the end, is people who are choosing to be the best at at, uh, at who they are inside, you know, personally. Um, and that's going to lead to that's not following some cookie cutter, you know, following me or anyone else. Um, and that's kind of what I did early on. And, and uh, it could I, who knows, it could have gone the other way. But, you know, for me, it worked, it worked really well. And hopefully it will for all you guys, too. Um, get in touch with me. I'm pretty easy to find. Um, just type in Justin Snakes in, in uh, Google or Justin K. I don't think anybody <laughs> know how to spell my last name. That's not important. So Justin K. Um, I'm on uh, YouTube and Instagram. I'm on all the social services, Snapchat. So uh, I've not gotten his name. I'm a little too old for Snapchat, I think. No, so, I mean, no. I it's just too, it's too personal. <laughs> we don't do it, but you're not too old. I just, I just can't make any sense of it. It's like, I don't know. It, it doesn't make sense but, uh, <laughs> for what we're doing. Like we're not so posting all day long. Yeah, it just doesn't. Yeah, 
Okay. 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 I feel a little better then. <laughs> but no, you can, find, you can find me anywhere. And, uh, you know, I, I try not to be too obnoxious and be everywhere at all times, but, uh, I like to show cool stuff and have some fun with it too. Awesome, man. Great. So we're going to yeah. stick around, kind of talk a little bit of our corn snake season and everything going on for the next hour. Fun. But have a good date Sounds night. Good. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, she's been shopping, so I got to go see the damage. Oh. <laughs> that's the that's the trade-off, huh? <laughs> it's okay. It's okay. We'll find out. <laughs> okay. All right. Have Bye. A good one, All right, guys. Thanks. Bye. All right, guys, so we are going. I noticed we haven't on the podcast really, we haven't really gotten a chance to talk much about our season and what's going on over here, and there's so much shit going on over here. Um, I'm going to take my jacket off because. Yeah, why have you been sitting at the whole. Here um, because I couldn't move the mic around. I didn't want to like move the mic around. The mic's we been talking. so weird. There'd be times that I would say something and it wouldn't click back to us, but then other times we would not move one muscle. I'm like, I'm really hoping that the us. audio went through good because weird shit was happening on our it end and really I really loud. enjoyed the interview. Like, yeah. I thought there was some really good shit. So I hope it is. We should act like we're still on now. So um, our corn snake season. Um, we took them out of when did we take them out of brumation oh you don't remember <laughs> I, I think it was uh somewhere in mid-february anyway that's one thing that we didn't really we could go back and find out on instagram but we took them out probably good burp mid-february and um yes I would so say we that's started good. feeding up and how we ramped up for breeding season or how i usually ramp up for breeding season is I start with like hopper mice for all my adult corn snakes and I'll go every three to four days. And then slowly as we progress, I go, you know, five days, seven days. Okay. Now and I then February 6th is when February we took them out. February 6th is when we took them out, which was a little bit early. I think I may have had drill. Something happened to where we couldn't do it the next weekend. I usually like to go mid-February, but we went a little early. Um, we just had kind of a weird winter here where weather was all over the place. And I was just like, remember, it was like unseasonably warm. But so then there was like, also days that would drop in the teens and we were getting worried about the heater constantly running. Yeah, we had a, a, it was also like our space heater kept. Well, the, the heater, it got way um, colder than we ever expected it to. And the heater actually worked too hard and blew a fuse so mm -hmm. it blew a fuse we just woke up one morning and oh shit all the lights are out and we're like very confused and we're like oh no and oh we can take our earphones yeah, out yeah we take our yeah. earphones out and for for reference that night it was like 25 degrees or no it was less it was, less. It was in the teens it was pretty much as low as texas can get so um that was just scary and we did some temps when we were in there. It was about 30 degrees in there. And, you know, we had a snake that was in the water bowl and stuff. They didn't give a fuck. We um we ended up, you know, ramping them up um, back to the 55 degrees and no one or 50 degrees rather. And no one really had any ill effects. I mean, we did have because of those temperature swings because we had random 70 degree days. We did have a couple shed during brumation which really scared me and really thought it was gonna throw everyone off but it seems like we went back down again and everyone reset and we're talking now in april um it's been kind of a later season than i thought it would it's taken a couple more tries so that that first shed we we waited until the first shed 
to pair them all up. And then after that first shed and after pairing them all up the first time, no one stuck. And it was, that's somewhat normal. I mean, usually it takes at least like a couple weeks after that first shed to really get into it. So I was like, I wasn't worried, but I was still like a little, uh, am I doing it right? Do I suck at this? Am I the worst? And um, and then give it, what was it? It had to have been a week or two later, we started getting first locks. And these first locks weren't like the female was receptive. It was like Total. the male was raping the female. Like... It was very much like <laughs> pinning her down. To, I mean, and obviously you have more experience with breeding corns. Like for me, I I thought it was going to be way more mutual, which I shouldn't. That was probably naive because when you think of like nature's always mutual. No, it's not. When you think of <laughs> well, when you think of like Planet Earth and all those movies we watched when you were younger, like I've seen like kangaroos and like lions, like all those type of animals doing it on Planet Earth. It is total rape-ish like it's pinning down the female and so i don't know why in my brain i thought it was gonna be different for snakes yeah but it no it's total like okay let me chase you till i can no, pin you down it. we're gonna name them all harvey weinstein or some shit <laughs> not funny oh sorry not funny um so they not were funny. just really the males really were going for it and didn't seem like the females but now we're at the point where we're pairing up for second and third time, which, I mean, it's, uh, you know, we're just well, making oh, sure sorry. just uh, putting the old seal on it. You know what I mean? Okay. <laughs> and uh, it seems like the females are much more receptive now. Like, like there's less struggle, less rapage, and uh, everyone's a little bit more receptive. So I'm not sure if it's just because they know the guy's coming and they can't fight or they're just receptive now <laughs> because i've had most of the time my corns don't really put up a fight so these ones were kind of weird but it sucks because like two of the ones i'm most excited about have not gone now one the core okay the coral growth i'm gonna mess this up coral ghost stripe tessera right uh-huh. is a female male coral ghost the, the male to the ghost, ghost female that has a pair isn't that a paradox? Ghost paradox for strawberry. Yes. No, that, that is that. one that I'm excited. Now that one just the the paradox one just has that one little strawberry thing on the eye, like the head somewhere there. I don't know how it'll play out, but that was one I was really excited about. And those locked because the coral ghost yeah. stripe tester just is an awesome ass looking snake. Like it's just beautiful with those purples, like pinkish, whatever. But my second favorite or most excited one was the Miami Okatee. And that bitch will not let herself get inseminated well there's a weird um she shed really late like she just shed and i was like what the fuck is going on plus she is the youngest so keep in mind she was a so i tried to do three years and um she was a 2015 so i'm not sure if it's just a stretch she is a little bit small but she's a plump small um, what I does never that wanna, mean, plump small? Meaning, like, it's not like she's small in stature. She's got decent stature, but she's still, you know, not exactly where we need her to be. And I kind of figured she may not go this season. She still may go. It's just, I don't know if her body's like, yeah, bro, we need more food, so let's shed later. That doesn't make, I mean, I don't know. That smart? <laughs> I don't know. 
Uh, we'll really find out. I mean, that is our most anticipated pairing, whether it be, um, you know, from people on Instagram or just us personally liking it. So that's a big one, man. I really hope that that happens. But then again, I'm not mad because, you know, we can make these, being that she's a 2015, Mm-hmm. We can we can make Miami yoga tees for the next damn fifteen years. Right, right. Yeah. We have time. So. Um, to backtrack a little bit, Baird asked how many times we put them put them together. So after the first shed, put them together the first time. If they we pretty much are creepy and sit here and watch them for like twenty minutes, like legit. We have them on the floor, and him and I are like on our knees looking in the well, tub watching. For the most- our corn snakes are unlike a lot of other animals to where they have they court very quickly and then they'll lock up pretty quickly so it's like within a time frame that's reasonable for you to sit and watch like we will have like 10 tubs on the floor from Mm -hmm. all the males and females and then just kind of watch them all together so that we can take pictures we can take videos so that we can put up you know youtube videos we can put up if you guys haven't seen we have a corn snake inventory on our website we are um i guess i'll put it on the podcast information and stuff like that but it will tell you all of our corn snakes that we own and mm-hmm. then it will show all of our breeders and then below all the way at the bottom it will show all of our pairings and all of well, the individuals listed have pictures and then the pairings also have locking pictures yes. so so you could see who's locked we don't have to tell you you can go <laughs> to this damn thing and you can say oh they locked yes and so here's the pictorial evidence of them locking but let me finish okay so if we I'm see i'm gonna let you finish but uh, if we see they're courting for like 20 25 minutes but no locking has happened we'll usually put them um we'll leave them in together overnight just because it shows that they're interested like there's some interest and so we'll just give them some time but if after that 25 minutes they're kind of on opposite sides of the tub like they're not really interested at all then we'll separate them um, and put them back in their own tubs. And you want to wait a couple of days before you try again because that courting process is, even though it happens quickly, like it's stress on that animal. Like the fact of trying to, you know, you know, put yourself out there trying to woo someone is yeah. stressful. <laughs> even for you're you. hitting all the positions. You're just trying yeah. all these different ways to get it in there. You're tired. Oh, um, <laughs> and so they need the rest. So I would say if we put them together and they're courting and they don't lock, we give them like three or four days before we try again. Um, now, and that gives me an opportunity to feed the females. So um, I like to feed like right after they pair up, so that by the time I'm ready to pair up again, they have digested that meal. Because if you guys don't know, corn snakes have really fast metabolisms, so they'll run through a mouse, you know, in one to three. And these are still small meals. I stay small mouse. There's nothing I have to go higher because I'll just. I'd rather do. Um, quantity than, mm-hmm. than size so i'm really focusing on small small mice and i find that they will eat further through the breeding season that way so especially when they become gravid so they can pass smaller meals more easily obviously when gravid um I, that's not exactly down to a science but that is my uh human fucking thought logic that i'm applying to it so that's just the way I do it. Yes. And then we don't have a number for how many times we relock. I think he's going overboard in his relock. He's done one pair three times just yeah. to make sure. I don't think that's super necessary. I don't think it's um, 
I think it kind of stems from really what I want to do, especially with ball pythons, what I did, because I'm not great at looking at ovulation and knowing that their gravid and stuff is keep on putting them to each other until they hate each other and they go to opposite sides. Once you see that female go to the opposite side of the tub than the male, you're like, oh, okay, yeah, she's pregnant. And so that is, I use that actually to determine what my females, and I can tell if my female's building, I mean, but also I don't want to take any risk to... to Right, to miss it, it to, yeah. to not miss it. I want to make sure I hammer it down no matter what. And therefore, if I have the time, it's not like we have 10,000 animals and we don't have the time to do it. You know, we have the time to... But could that be stressing them out too much to keep putting them back together well, and together? I mean, granted, we, we give the time. We, that's what I'm saying. We have the on. time to Just, give them recovery. Okay. So it's like our males are recovering and eating, but I do feed the males less than the females. I'll keep that in mind. You know, keep that in mind. Um, but I am giving them recovery meals and everything, and I mean, they just seem to do just fine that way, and... That's the way I like to do it. That's the way I want to make sure that I don't want to say I could have done more at the end of the season. Mm-hmm. I haven't mm-hmm. seen any negative effects from pairing up this much. Um, I don't think it's overboard for what Brandon says do. buy a $10,000 ultrasound yeah. machine. Yeah, or I could just buy an ultrasound. <laughs> <laughs> no, like I think I'll buy an ultrasound for my $100 corn snakes. But, you know, I will just... I mean, I can tell when they're building, but I can never tell if they're pregnant because corn snakes will lay a, a clutch of slugs, no problem. So yeah. Um. Also, earlier, Chris and Marissa, which I realize I don't know if this is Chris or Marissa speaking. <laughs> I assumed it was Marissa at first, but that's just probably because I'm a girl. Um. But she or he asked what our incubator we use is, which we'll probably get into this more and make another video this year once we are actually incubating but, but we, we can talk quickly on the podcast yeah so we can always talk quickly about it do you want to do it yeah so luckily colubrids are super easy and we keep ambient temperature which is 80 degrees in a room so um, not all of our corn snakes are kept like that the younger ones are kept at 85 hot spot and then our ambient in the room is about 74 and then once they get to adult size they go into an ambient room which is 80 degrees kept you know Ambient means that the whole room is kept 80 degrees, so there's no hot spot, no anything, and they do great like that. And um, so actually, trying to hold in your burps, yeah. Corn snake eggs, if it's any indication, last year we kept them at about 75, it took almost 100 days, but they hatched out. And um, I've also kept them 85 degrees, took 50 days, 55 days, but they hatched out. so this year, we just, uh, most of the time, you're going to put them on top of your rack. You can put them in a slot in your rack, or um, I'm going to put them in the ambient room. So 80 degrees seems to be a good medium in between those two. I don't want them all going 100 days. It might not be, dude, these babies came out fucking big and ready to go. Yeah, last year. Yeah, like these things, uh, when I did it, 80, what was it? I think I may have put it like 86 or something, which is, in my opinion, too high, but the babies came out. That's funny you said it might have been, and you're the one who I did know, it. <laughs> the more you know. I mean, you learn that shit as you go on. So it's like they came out very small, and it made my Before. life harder. Uh-huh. And when I had to assist feed babies, 
I was a cis feeding mouse tails and pinky heads and all that silly shit. And no, ain't nobody got time for that. So definitely, yeah. I think 80, we're going to strike a good happy medium. Everyone's going to be nice and somewhere in the middle of those. Um, Hopefully. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we may have some eggs when we're moving and stuff, but we'll all figure that out. But I mean, I'm super pumped for everything that's going to, I mean, it's going to be a giant year. Um, things are going that we want to go. Uh, Brandon actually just mentioned the hog I was going to answer him. If they, so, I don't even fucking know we'll if they've into. bred. I'm so over these snakes. It, this just feeds into my hatred of them because they're annoying and won't breed. <laughs> No, I mean, I don't know if they've bred. It's So our, our hognoses are both het snow. First of all, we'll get that in there. And um, I put them together quite a few times. So I'm doing a breeding every three to four days. I'm feeding the female in between. The male doesn't want to eat because he never, a, he wants, never to eat. wants to eat. <laughs> and B, um, I heard that hognose males often go off feed in the wintertime and they cruise a lot and they're little psychos. So... I've been breeding them every three to four days. I've put them together three times. The male is definitely trying to court the female. Um, the female is like fucking three times the size of him easily. Um, so he's definitely not doing any raping like the corn snakes. Are, right. He, there's no. He can't hold her down. No. Like no, there, he can't hold her tail down. I'm even worried like, about her eating him, but so far has been so good. And uh, she's just very hungry. She comes out of the tub right when i open it all the time just looking for food so i'm gonna keep on feeding her and you know hopefully i haven't seen any locks visually but the male's definitely courting her and i definitely leave them in for 24 hours so you never know what happens in that 24 hours <coughs> but um so that's kind of my game plan i've never bred hognose before um hopefully i breed hognose if i don't it will be hard to keep them around because they're a real pain in my ass. Wait, I thought that guy said don't leave them for 24 hours. No, no, yeah. He said pair them up every three to four days and then and leave them for 24 hours when you pair them up. Oh, okay. I thought, he, I thought we contacted him saying we were scared about her eating him. And he no, said no, him. yeah. He said it, it's possible. It definitely happens. But, I mean... Got to crack a few eggs to make an omelet. No, I'm just kidding. But I mean, the good thing is you're feeding in between, so it's not like she's hungry. Oh, she's she's kind of always hungry, but oh. <laughs> but I mean, nothing yet. We'll see what happens. I mean, I haven't gotten any visual. I wouldn't be surprised if they've locked up. But um, Dan said, well, "Why haven't we gotten into Honduran? They are pretty color. The colors are pretty, and they get big." I do really like Honduran milk skin milk snakes. And I would love to get them eventually. It just hasn't been convenient yet. I mean, there's those weird things where you want them for so long. And Hondorans are one of those things where I would always love to have them. But and then it's like we went on like a Cali King kick and actually got them. So there's a weird thing where like you get into a certain species, but you don't pull the trigger. And then other species, you get into them and you're like immediately pull the trigger and go wild, right? It's just... Speaking of, I want more. I want a lavender. I want a lavender. Cali King. So bad. I. Ooh, another question. Sorry. I don't know if it was Brandon or Dan. They asked a while ago, how many ball python clutches did you have before you sold them all? Um, like how many in total or in a season? I think I think total. It wasn't anything crazy. It was like eight or something like that. 
enough to where I realize, oh, okay, I can do this consistently forever, or I cannot. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, really? (laughs) (laughs) Meaning, um, I've tried eight times, and I got eight clutches, so... It's really a pretty simple thing. And eight's probably not a real number. I don't really know the number. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, But, yeah, it's definitely something that I got used to producing ball pythons, and it's definitely not difficult. But, um, so I want to talk about the Cali Kings. Okay. Um, We have a banded male. I want to show it. Okay. I want to show the female. Okay, good luck. You're about to see the first time that Melissa's ever been bit by a snake on video. Hey, go get it. Go get it. Shut your mouth. <laughs> um, yeah, she's real nice. Um, she does like food a bit, so be wary of that when you're putting your hand in there. But um, she is a dotted cow king from Don Shores. Um, she's actually seven years old, so she's definitely ready to breed, but... I don't know if, you know, we didn't, we haven't had her the whole time, so she hasn't cycled correctly. You're going to give her to me? Yeah, because you scared me. <laughs> All right. So, our male is a big, a big, um, banded male, and she is a little chocolatey looking dotted female. And, um, yeah, she's just really cool. Um, they're totally, they're crazy phenotypical as far as, or polymorphic. What the fuck am I talking about? Um, they come out in all different kinds of patterns, colors, and stuff like that. So um, she's a little bit more chocolatey, although it's not it's not like intended. But um, they kind of a lot of them brown out. Um, you'll see you'll see a lot, especially some of the banded animals that stay black. I don't know a lot about Cali king snakes, so someone will probably be like, "You're an idiot," but that's a little bit of what I know. So, um, but her head's still black, right? Yeah, like it, it's blacker by the head, and then it gets kind of more chocolatey as it goes down. But as you can see, just you know, the same size as a corn snake, which is just totally perfect. And they love to eat everything, and they'll eat corn snakes when we have snakes that don't thrive as well. Our, our Mexican black king is very, very good at that. Um, unfortunately, we weren't able to find a female for the Mexican black king, but the, um, I'm pumped about trying to do Cali Kings, but honestly, we we just ragtag through shit together, and um, I find that it's obviously a lot better to plan these things ahead of time, roommate properly, have the animals the whole time. She's now rattling in my hand, and, um, you know, really, she was rattling her tail just now, so she's not, she's not calming down, but... Um, you know, it's obviously much better. I don't find that you just get animals and they breed right away. But if anything's, <laughs> but if anything's gonna breed right right away, it's going to be a colubrid. So, you know, we tried it. I'm not worried about her produce. She'll produce eventually, and everything will be good. And I really just enjoy keeping a new species. And um, so I'm pumped about them. You know, trying to breed the cow king. Do you want to bring out the banded male? So we've been pairing them up, and there's no real interest. Um, she hasn't shed yet since I've had her. Dude, I've only had her for like a month. So me trying to pair them is just stupid. It's stupid. <laughs> it's really hope, but I don't, you know, I'll try. But 
it's whatever if it doesn't work out. But um, it's fun, and I'm liking the. I, it's weird because Cali Kings are definitely a beginner reptile, right? I mean, next to a corn snake, probably one of the best beginner reptiles. Besides the fact that a lot of them are a little food aggressive, but that's part of the fun. And um, they're beginner reptiles, but I've never had one. So it's the kind of same thing with Hondurans. You see a lot of people start up with things like milk snakes, and you know I've never had one. So I got a couple and i'm really enjoying them and as you can see that that male tossed his water bowl um during the winter he's been very very uh going all over the place he's also a little hungry because um the person that we got them from he was a bit fat so i he's been on a diet and i only want to feed him like every three weeks so I want to make sure that we get them to a more healthy weight. And then, you know, around breeding season, we got to change everything in there. Yeah. And around breeding season, they're going to be more um, active and they're going to toss their water bowls and they're going to do all this fun stuff. But as you can see, he is a uh, people on YouTube, people on the podcast, unfortunately can't see this, but he is a pretty close to 50 50 banded male. He's got a few aberrant little uh, bands that don't go all the way, but. Otherwise, I really, really love this snake. I really love both of them, and I really love Cali Kings in general. We definitely want to get some more morphs, but right now we're sticking with some line-bred animals. And if we put a band into a dot, um, we'll probably get a bunch of silly stuff, you know, all different stuff across the spectrum. So that would be really, really cool. And uh, you want to hold them? Well, yeah, because he was in so much uh, moisture. Yeah, because we got to change everything. Yeah, but um, I'm excited about getting more Cali Kings and doing more Cali King stuff. Um, we also got an Emery Rat Snake from Tony. So um, last week we had Tony on the podcast from Selective Scales, and he brought over actually an Emery Rat Snake that he's had for quite a long time. And um, it's a I really love uh, Emery's are a close cousin to the corn snakes, so. It fits right in, and um, he's a really cool snake. I would love to have all the North American rat snakes. I would love to have a lot of the North American king snakes. Um, so, you know, that's just another species to kind of put down on my belt, I guess you could say, that we have. Um accents for the past hour on random things. <laughs> it's called emphasis, you know. Yeah, I know. I don't want to put them back in the wet. Oh. Why don't you just put him with a female? Maybe we'll do a pair. Oh, yeah, you can put him in the holding container. All right. And uh, so a few people have mentioned black pine snakes, which are super cool. And um, I love just pine snakes in general. And black pine snakes are now protected. So you can't bring them throughout um, state lines. That's the only reason why I wouldn't get them at this point is just because um a there's not going to be a market if i produce them and b i just don't see um the way that we move around i don't see it being reasonable to buy any because we're just going to move and i would have to get rid of them and that's just not anything i want to do so that's why i haven't had them and um so and then black milk snakes are also awesome so if people don't know what black milk snakes are they they essentially look like um, regular milk snakes or a lot of other species of milk snakes. And then over time, they get 
jet black, and they're also a lot larger. I mean, they can get up pretty easily eight feet or so. So they're super cool. Um, what are what else are we pairing up that? Some breeding season stuff that we need to talk Something about. Something else that hasn't worked is the excuse me, the lava terrazzo, which I don't know if that's a thing a lot of people know a lot about. Um, we're trying our lava terrazzo to our fire. Um, and they just haven't worked. The fire's been really good this season. We've pulled, paired the fire with the sulfur. Shit, and I don't remember. We paired the fire. Yes, yeah, I thought. And the mother of McDonald. Um, and so we're trying the fire with a lot of different things just because we like the bright intensity of the fire. Um, and we're just hoping that that will come through in any of the babies we have. But, you know, at the end of the day, we've never done a lot of these um, combinations before, so we're not sure. But that would be really nice. Um, Oliver's here. Hello, Oliver. Um, and to anyone who's still watching, earlier we had Justin Kabilka on. He could only do it for an hour. So if you are really interested in seeing Justin Kabilka, go watch the beginning of this uh, podcast. Now or just listen to it on or listen to it tomorrow, the audio version tomorrow. Um, Brandon said it seems like you're getting more and more into it most as time goes on. More and more into what? I'm guessing into snakes and you into snakes. She she was the catalyst uh, behind getting the Cali Kings, to be honest, in comparison to me. Yeah, because I really liked them. Yeah, um, so that kind of proves his point. I get, I get. Oh, I think I was talking about. Um, oh yeah, no, I was talking about someone brought up pines, and mm-hmm. I was saying that you love them, and I don't. Yeah, I mean, it's not a uh, snuggle monster. Yeah, I don't like any anything that's gonna try to kill me. It's certainly um, an awesome snake that I love to see the natural behavior in snakes. So, if people don't know pine snakes, they have um, they are a rattlesnake mimic. Um, similar patterns. I mean, not to the trained eye, but I mean, in uh, the normal layperson would say that it looks like a rattlesnake, and then of course they will you know, get in that pose like a rattlesnake and they will kind of circle up and then S up and rattle and hiss and do everything like that and just really, really big bluffs. Um, They don't really bite that much, but they are a little bit, a little psycho as far as their defense goes, which is, it's super cool to see. I love seeing um the animal's natural um inclination to defend itself in comparison to a lot of our... Um, readily bred species, a lot of our readily kept species that are super calm, and it's like it's like you don't even have a with a pine, you know that you have a wild animal. Like <laughs> there's no mistake in that shit. So yeah. It's, Speaking uh, of that, I meant to ask you earlier on Instagram, someone messaged us asking if um. Like they said they had the opportunity to get some hogs out in the wild and like we're wondering if uh, that's something uh they should do or not and you suggested against it. Now I was wondering, are there certain species you would say are better to do wild caught than other species, or are you just kinda like, No, don't do wild caught well, at all? We don't have to do that at all at this point. I don't think for most things, yeah, but, but it's free. especially in <laughs> hogs, do you know how hard it is to get my hogs to eat? Imagine taking them out of the wild. And I don't even think she was talking about Westerns. I think she was talking to Easterns that no one can keep alive. 
there's very few people who keep them alive in the in captivity, and most of them are feeding toads of some sort. Okay. So, I don't. I think it's fuck, man. It's not worth the work for a lot of these species. It's just so much easier, and especially if you're going to be taking, you know, uh, something that's readily bred in the U.S. At this point, a corn snake is cheaper. You know, you can find a normal corn snake for 15, 20 bucks. Why would you even mess with it? And you can get it to eat immediately. So um, it definitely makes your life easier. I mean, I'm not going to say I'm totally against it, but um, kind of what was highlighted in the episode that we had with Stu Tennyson about gray bands, it's like, he's like, yeah, I spend you know for i forget what the ratio like was. 55 hours i think for like for one every gray band so it's like um would you rather just save up 150 dollars, or would you rather drive 10 hours out to west texas spend 50 hours and get one well gray yeah band? but if she had it you know just right there in her backyard type thing what snake would you say if that's in your backyard go for it not it's just it's Nothing, too much trouble, really? man. There's no reason to bring it into your collection of captive snakes that can get sick. I mean, you can you can do that, take a shortcut, and kill your whole collection. Why would you do that? It's not worth it. Okay. I mean, for us, I mean, like, all that would be is speckled king snakes would be something that I would like to have. But I can buy very what cheap. What about Slowinski's, whatever? Slowinski's corn snakes would have to be something that I may that I would have to do that for. That's because the Slowinski's corn snakes that we do have in the hobby, which people don't even know that they exist, but it was once thought to be a mix between an emery rat and a corn snake. And they exist mostly in right on the line of Texas and Louisiana in a pretty small um, place in, uh, you know, a pretty small range. I mean, they also, I, I heard, go through Arkansas. Like, they have random patches. But, um, like, uh, that would be something because what they call them in the hobby right now is castashi corns, which is, A, very confusing for everyone because everyone thinks that they're, like, a mutation of corn. And, B, that means that they derive from castashi National Forest, which, A, is illegal to take animals from, and, B, is in Louisiana. So I would want a true Texas locality, Slowinski's corn, and um, I would want to call it a Slowinski's corn because that's what it's fucking called. It's not called a, um, you know, it's not called a Castachi corn and it wouldn't be from Castachi National Forest. And that's why that's what would attract me to that animal. And and the reason why it's called a Slowinski's corn is after a herpetologist. So it was a herpetologist who died actually September 11th, 2001. In Burma, he was um, bit by a many banded crate um, because one of his assistants told him it was actually a wolf snake. And uh, uh, wolf snakes mimic many banded crates. They're both white and black snakes. So um, he said it was the mimic. The assistant got bit by it earlier. Nothing happened. And then Joe Slowinski went into the bag and it bit onto his finger, held onto his finger. Um, a bunch of neurotoxic venom went through his veins and he recorded every moment to the time of his death. He died because they couldn't get, um, he was in a, a part of Burma to where he couldn't get help. He was very isolated. Wait, but how did it not affect the assistant? 
Well, it was a dry bite. The first one was a dry bite. Lucky so son of a bitch. So he wasn't envenomated the first time. So think about it. Like, there's a weird little guy in Burma who was hired just for, you know, two weeks just to handle this Just a little assistant got fucking lucky. Got very lucky. And then his knowledgeable insight, you know. Right, the really smart guy who, you know, could have done so much. A world-renowned herpetologist at the age of 30-something. He was only like 35 or so, which if you don't know for a professor at a university. It's pretty young. Pretty young. It's the beginning of his career after, you know, spending eight years in school or whatever the hell it takes. So, um, where was I? You were saying that he got bit and he... Uh, recorded all of his... Yeah, all the moments leading up to his death and why no one could get to him is A, because the Burma government was kind of like sketchy about even letting him in at the first place because um, Burma was turning into Myanmar. There's some type of strife there and I'm not sure exactly how that worked, but it was also September 11th, so airspace was shut down in the mm. U.S., so no one was going to help to him come from out the U.S., him. Um, they were trying to get in touch with like the embassy in order to talk to Burma to get him help out. But of course the whole government was shut down because of nine eleven, so they couldn't talk to anyone from Burma to help him out to get him Jeez. the antivenom and stuff that he need. And Joe Slowinski actually, um, when he was young got bit by a prairie rattlesnake and he got um antivenom. And he's actually very allergic to antivenom. So he also tried hard his hardest not to use antivenom because he had adverse reactions to it. So there's a few different... So he's just fucked in so it's many... It's perfect, like, perfect Location, story. date, like DNA. So, and uh, Joe Slowinski, he loved Louisiana and the university that he worked in was in Louisiana and... Just he loved everything about the culture of Louisiana. So what happened in like uh, a few years later is that they found the first new fucking like colubrid species in the United States right there in Louisiana. So what they, so call they named it, they it after called him. the Slowinski's corn snake. So if you want to call it a Kastashi corn snake, just you're shitting. You're over shitting history. on what this man did. Yeah, or, and you it's, know, and it's very, very reasonable people in the hobby. They just never looked into the backstory of it. So, um, sometimes these animals are named Latin name. Um, some of this shit is just named out of ego, out of the people who find them. But also, some of them, a lot of them, are named in honor of people. So. It's not a fucking Kastachi corn snake, you fucks. That's really the, <laughs> the moral of the story, right? Is that it's a Slowinski's corn, and they look really cool. I actually really like them, but it's something we'll probably never get, because we'd have to go find it ourselves, most likely, because no one's selling them. Yeah, I mean, and why are we being lazy? We live in Texas. I'm sure we could figure it out. I just don't... Um, I don't know. I'm sure I could get in touch with people if I really, really tried. And mm -hmm. really, really, because I know some people who have found them. So, and we even asked, uh, there was this guy from the Southwestern Herpetological Society or something. I think he lives in San Antonio. Houston. Whatever. Um, <laughs> he, <laughs> he has herped like all of Texas. He knows all like the old school herpers of Texas. And he's like, 
yeah, like I haven't really, I don't really know of anyone who knows of them or has found them or I don't know if people really care. It's not exactly, um, yeah, it's not a mainstream snake by any means. It's not a gray band. It's not something you're going to write home about. It's, I think it's cool, but I don't know. Yeah. And it actually has a morph that's called silver leaf, but obviously that's coming from the Castani or the, the Castachi. So, um, so silver leaves aren't true Texas localities, but they are really cool. It kind of looks like a, almost like a tesseracorn. It's a pattern mutation. Um, I would love to have those. Um, they are a little expensive at this point and just rare. I mean, Don Soderberg produces them. He's the only one producing them. And um, I really don't know how much they are. Maybe like 500 or something. I mean, uh-huh. that's not a lot for the Python people, but for us it is. Um, and it's also one of those things only uh, only we think it's cool. But then again, I think if we told everyone the story, <laughs> that story of them, makes it more interesting. Like, why doesn't everyone at least have a little bit of respect for that? Or I don't, I don't understand why there's so many species. Like Justin mentioned earlier, that in South Africa, they really like ball pythons, and you know, they're on the same continent as ball pythons. You know, South Africa, West Africa, still a long way apart. But they still have respect for things that even come from their own continent. Um, we have an issue here in the United States where the only cool things are exotic things. So yeah, no one people gives, like that. <laughs> people like exotic things, and that goes across the board. Oh, yeah. But um, you know, not a lot of people give respect to our native species. Um, you know, how many people? How many people would love snakes that look exactly like snakes that we have here? Like, we have so many snakes, you know, oh, it kind of looks like that snake, but it's not, so it's not cool. Like, what? Well, like, a western green rat snake. We have a green snake here. That's really cool. Like, But they like a rat snake because it's from Asia? No, no, this is in the United States. Oh. So the western green rat snake, like, why don't more people care? It's a green snake from America that's a... I want to say easy to keep, but easier to keep than a lot of the Asian species, easier to keep than a lot of the other green species that we have. Mm-hmm. Why does no one care or the Baja rat snakes that come out this just coolish looking, you know, that like quintessential orangey like worm color, but it's not. But like when it's on an actual snake, it looks cool, like a reddish. Um, They're just super cool and just not too many give a shit. And um and of course, even if you're looking at our native copperheads, or some of like the most beautiful snakes you can see, and you like those, yeah, you like those way more than any other person I've ever met. But uh, yeah, we get very jaded for some reason by things that are around here. Chris and Marissa again don't know who said they have copperheads in New Jersey. I didn't know that. Yeah, so that's um, they actually have copperheads from where I'm from, so a little bit into upstate New York, very very lower upstate New York. Um, if people don't know, I'm from Dutchess County, if you want to look that up, but you can get copperheads up there. Um, you can also get timbers in New Jersey. Honestly, there's a lot of great stuff. Um, we overlook that too, because the New Jersey pine barrens back in the day, that was like the go-to place. It was New Jersey pine barrens, um, Southern California and West Texas. Those are the places that you wanted to go to herp. And, um, the New Jersey pine barrens has giant 
northern pine snakes that are black and white, beautiful, beautiful. So the pine barrens are within reason from them. They live right by giant stadiums. So you can actually go to the Meadowlands, um, that like swampy, disgusting area, and there's plenty of snakes. But um, these giant northern pine snakes, and um, they're just crazy cool. And they're even to this day, people love the what they call Jersey Giants is what they used to call them back in the day, these giant um, northern pine snakes. There's also some cool milk snakes up there, eastern milk snakes, beautiful milk snakes, um, eastern king snakes, um, just really, really cool stuff that people overlook. Um, I would love to get an eastern king snake. Some of them can look kind of like Cali kings, but a lot thinner on the white portion, a lot more black. Um there's also like the eastern king snakes that will range more a little bit more western than that, but um, there's a lot of cool things that are overlooked, especially from that region or really from every region of the United States. Um, we're really there's lucky. just so many though, babe. Like something's always gonna get overlooked, babe. You eat there's so many different species, yeah, that's true. so there's always gonna be something. Also, people always want what they can't have. Like, and yeah. even though we can have the exotics, we can, but it's like, you know, the grass is always greener on the other side. A speckled like, king snake looks awfully like a diamond python, but a diamond python is a diamond python. So, like, or a splendida, a desert king snake, looks a little bit like a blackhead, but it's not even close to a blackhead. <sighs> and blackheads are so great. <laughs> yeah, My $10,000 dream. Yeah. Not ten. About twelve hundred. Sorry, twelve hundred dollar dream. <laughs> we'll Either way, more money than I'm going to be dropping on a snake. Yeah. In any... <laughs> but there's just you know a few different things that I would love to get into, just because of people not um not really caring too much. And then of course there's um like Brandon said the. That's, I believe, the fox snake, which is a pretty cool snake. And um, you have a lot of your racers, all the Kaluber uh, genus. There's fucking pink racers, like pink and black. What? Like, what the fuck are you talking Never about? Never heard of that. They're they're legit pink. Like, like, we talk about snakes, and I tell you that things are like... Purple. He's the worst at saying shit's purple, and it's not fucking purple. All the time we get into... No, don't keep that title. Sorry. We get into arguments all the time because of like, oh, like, look at the purple. And they're like, no, that shit's gray. Like, you're pulling stuff out of it that's not there. And so when you're saying there's a pink snake, you're making me think there isn't because you, you make stuff. You're, I've never seen <laughs> the colors you think. Oh, okay. Well, now he's trying to Google it and this is not. <laughs> he's trying to Google pink racer and I we're coming up with Power Rangers shit. Exact, um, but here it is. Okay. Yes. That is actually a pink snake. Yeah, so they are legit pink and black. They are not only see the black Western Coach Whip. Sorry, <laughs> not guys. pink racer. Why was I thinking racer? I was thinking all the Coach Whips. There's a lot of different fucking crazy Coach Whips out there that are black. That are you know the normal one is going to be that like tannish color or the Western, the pink ones that are just pink and black and crazy. If you want to check out. I think Repti Girl actually took down her Instagram. What? Yeah, yeah. But why? I don't know. She just didn't want to deal with it anymore. But just why would you? Um, people would dream of a pink ball python, but 
we have other pink snakes. They just aren't that nice. You know, whatever. Like, attitude-wise. But I think uh, they're really cool. Okay, this is a great tangent. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, <laughs> just into... My mouth's getting dry from talking so much, man. Crack another beer. You finished yeah, that I... one. <laughs> oh, now Brandon's Someone's sending us, us a, a link. Oh, oh that's Refty Girls. Okay, hers is a lot black. Yeah, how sick is that? If it, no one can see that, it's it's um probably the top. Like, I think everyone can see the link. Is jet black? I'm talking about um on the podcast. We're gonna just yeah. delete all of this for the for the <laughs> they, audio. The, the first the first twenty five percent is jet black, and then the rest is bright ass pink. It's fucking amazing. And there's just too many. Oh, Brandon, of these. we couldn't see the second one. There's just so too deleted. many snakes in general, like species out there, like you said that. Too many get overlooked, and there's still stuff that, like, like you can go to a show and be like, wait a second, what is what is that? Like, like I've never seen that species of snake before, and it happens, which is amazing. Or, you know, we're all of the time getting new species of snakes, and it just seems to never end, which is awesome. Yeah. But speaking of things that do end, never end. <laughs> no, speaking of things that do end, this podcast. I'm trying to pull up our calendar to see who. It feels a lot longer do, when you're doing it by when yourself. When it's just us right? two, yeah, I know. Because it's just, weird, like we're because so we're not, not asking used to questions to we. Well, we are, but you know, it's we've gotten used to having a guest very much. Yeah, it makes it makes life super easy, right? Um, but next week, oh shit. Go to today. We're in like January right now. Next week is Scott Borden. I don't even know who that is. You can explain wow. that. <laughs> I'm terrible. Okay. A, you're well. You're you're not supposed to like admit that. Like on, you're supposed to be like next week, Scott. Borden. Next week is the amazing, fabulous Scott Borden. Yeah, Joe, take shit. it over with the about him. <laughs> That's um, not with the about him. <laughs> um, actually, it's weird. Me and Scott Borden. Um lived in the same hometown forever i guess and i didn't know who he was until i didn't live there anymore so he lives actually where i grew up and um he keeps malucan scrubs which if you've never seen his scrubs he's <coughs> all right asshole i'm doing a hey hey trying to do a plug um he keeps Moluccan scrubs, which if you haven't seen him, it's NY Herp Revolution. Oh, on that's him. Okay, there yeah, you go, I know him. He talks with yeah, and his scrubs are cool, and he has a oh, he posted a very beautiful white lip. Right, oh, I can't wait to talk to him about white lips. Shut your fucking no, mouth. No, I'm excited now. Okay, you are trying cool. to get back. You are trying to <laughs> no, earn some points. He comments back. on our stuff and likes our shit, and wow. I like almost everything he posts. I really like Dude, his stuff. Oh, stop! Evan's to gonna suck be excited that it's white lips and i'm oh, you know man. what everyone here knows i like white lips yeah but you're sucking up now it's getting <sighs> disgusting um thank you some luck i'm trying to get into the fucking malacan scrubs i haven't even got that far and my herb revelation <laughs> on instagram they're yellow and black like bright ass yellow probably the best looking scrubs you could ever see and he's trying to breed them people don't really know if they're like winter breeders spring breeders he's just throwing shit at the wall and seeing what sticks i think at this point so we're gonna get a good update on if anything stuck which is gonna be fun as well as he does have white lips he does breed jungle carpets um all things yellow and black 
And uh, so, yeah, that will be a fun show. He also keeps a few lizard species. He's also he's going pretty hard on social media these days. And um, this should be a fun time. <laughs> uh, Brandon said he's the admin of like every Facebook group these days. <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> also, well, hopefully he'll post it all. In the... Okay, Brandon says we have to spend 30 minutes talking. Okay, 30 minutes to Scrubs, 30 minutes to White lo- uh, white Lips. White Rock. <laughs> you hungry? Um, and then an hour to whatever. I am hungry. I kind of want pizza, but that means oh. you're breaking your diet. Ugh. Someone needs to make a video of how to get your boyfriend off of keto diet because it's make... ruining my life. Most people don't want an overweight fat boyfriend. <laughs> I don't want an overweight fat boyfriend, but I'm over keto. Oh my god! Well, okay. <laughs> Chris and Marissa, thanks for finding us too. Um, <laughs> thank you everyone for listening, especially at the end here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> But hey, we had fun. Um, we will definitely talk to Scott about Scrubs a lot of the time. And I mean, this is to where the Scrubs are something that I really love also. So, oh, Blackhead Scrubs. What are we going to do with our lives? Oh, man. We've got so much. And then I talked about all the North American shit we need. So it's like. Guys, this never ends. If you're wondering where to find us, check us out on Instagram, Port City Pythons, YouTube, Port City Pythons, Facebook, Port City Pythons. We also have um, our website, sorry, portcitypythons.com. Buy our t-shirts. Neither of us are wearing one today. And when we have snakes, they will go up there. Also, Gustavo, wow. Shame, 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 shame. But he changed shame. his name. It's not GM. Oh, it's not GMD true. Reptiles anymore. I love when people change names. Um, this is taking a long time, huh? Okay, sorry. Um, are you going to say how much you love Scott Borden more? To- yes, yeah, Scott Borden is the most <laughs> amazing white lip reader ever. He has never read white lips. And- wow, you're looking like a real Shit. idiot right now. Oh, man. <laughs> embarrassing oh and he's from your town so that makes him cooler even though your town's lame <laughs> i don't know i don't know what it says about people i don't know what, do you what think? being from bitch girl yeah. uh, i don't know there's good and bad okay we keep saying what are we doing we keep saying Get we're gonna here. go and yeah. then we're not scram and we're not okay bye thanks For guys real. later